So this is exactly what you get when you let the SEC dictate policy for college football. And it's been going on for way too long, by the way. I'm Pete Mundo. We're Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com. You're independent. Big 12 digital media outlet. It is great to be here with you guys for another week. Uh, but I'm, I'm just annoyed. I'm annoyed by this report that I saw from Pete Thamel at Yahoo Sports. And Pete's a, he's a good reporter. He's got a great name, good reporter, by the way. But um, his report here talked about how right now the early favorite is going to be a 12-team college football playoff over an 18-team college football playoff. Now, this comes in the wake of some reporting earlier this week that um, next week the idea of college football playoff expansion – is going to be put forth in a report to the college football playoff committee. The management committee is going to look at this thing. And they're going to look at things like a 16 model, an 18 model, a 10 team model, 12, 14, all the way up to 16 teams in a theoretical college football playoff expansion. Now, I've thought for a long time hey, the way to go here is eight. You have your five automatic bids. Um, you have three at large, and away you go. You want to have one for a group of five, two at large? Okay, that's fine. That that's, that's fine. We can make that work, right? I don't want to water down a fantastic college football regular season. I just I don't want to do it. It's too valuable. It's too great of a regular season. The fact that you can lose a game in late September and be like, geez, their playoff chances, their national championship chances may have just gone up in flames – is a great conversation to have. And it's unlike anything in other, on any other sport in this country, which I love about it. But if you go to 12 teams, that starts to water that down, so I'm not a fan of it. But here's what's going to happen. There's going to be in-person meetings next week about these up to 16-team college football playoff options. Thursday and Friday, these in-person conversations will take place in Chicago, and they're going to be the results of two years of exploring possibilities that could alter the college football playoff format going forward. Now, nothing would happen based on some reporting. Nothing would happen before the 2023 season. That's the earliest they would do any type of college football playoff expansion. There are, by the way, five years left on the current contract. And to change the current contract before it expires would require everybody involved, uh, commissioners and others, to unanimously agree to this type of change. So it's... It's not likely to happen for certainly this season. It's still uh, probably up in the air for 2023. But it's believed, based on Pete Thamel's reporting, that a 12-team playoff is the one getting the most attention. And that might surprise some of you, but when I go on to explain why it's getting the most attention, you will not be as surprised. So why 12 over 8, according to Pete Thamel at Yahoo Sports? Well, uh, he writes here, he reports here, in the current four-team college football playoff model, all four teams are at large. In a majority of the eight-team models that have been projected, there would likely be either five or six automatic bids. That means a decrease in at-large bids, which would not be much interest to the SEC or even Notre Dame, which could perceive the expanded playoff as having less access. The Pac-12 and the entire group of five to counter would likely not be interested in expansion without some type of automatic bids. Another snag that could make some uncomfortable with eight teams is who gets left out. If there are six automatic bids, for example, a team ranked number four or number five 
could theoretically be left out and a team ranked number 18, for example, makes the field. That scenario makes some uncomfortable. Who does that make uncomfortable? I'm going to tell you who that makes uncomfortable. That makes the big wigs in the SEC uncomfortable because every single year they get propped up by the media. They get propped up then in turn in the rankings and they get the benefit of the doubt time and time again. So they're sitting there and they're saying the SEC, hey, you know, Alabama's going to get in every year, but we all want to ride the coattails of Alabama, you see? And uh, we've got a better chance to ride the coattails in the 12-team format where the SEC will try to get literally half the conference into the playoff. I mean, I'm exaggerating a little bit here. But can't you see a scenario where in a 12-team playoff you get, all right, six automatic bids, power five conferences plus a group of five. Then you have six at-larges. The SEC and the media will try to make a case for like four or five of those teams being from the SEC. Guarantee it. ESPN will be writing headlines. Could six SEC teams get into the playoff this season? What about seven? How about all six at-large bids coming out of the SEC in a 12-team playoff? I can see the storylines right now, and I know you can as well. It's so predictable. So they don't want an eight-team playoff, basically. The SEC does not want an eight-team playoff. Why? Because if they had five or six automatic bids, they could not jam the back end of the playoff. Right now, they try to get two teams into the playoff in the four-team model. They've done it, what, once, right? Uh, They will try to get more than that. They will want more than that. Because if they can stack the deck and get four or five teams into the playoff from the SEC – then suddenly you're increasing your odds of winning a national championship. And then you can increase the conversation around the SEC being far, far, far superior to any other Power 5 conference, you see? That's how this plays out. That's how this works. And it's so predictable. So once again, Pete Thamel here is doing the bidding of the SEC by saying, you know, we got to do 12. Uh, eight, 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 eight doesn't give us enough room to increase our odds of the conference winning the national championship. So that's what's at play there, just so you know. That's the SEC doing its bidding through the media, in this case, Yahoo Sports' Pete Thamel. Now, Thamel goes on to add here, how would 12 teams work? The basic thought is automatic bids for the five major conferences, which also juices up their league title games as playing games, and one for the highest-ranked group of five champion. The other six spots would be at-large bids. That gives automatic bids to some of the have-nots and more potential spots for the more powerful leagues, and compromise is important in a vote where consensus is needed. The details of how those 11 games in a 12-team system would unfold will still need to be worked out in the upcoming months. But the thought is the first four teams will get a bye and teams number five through number eight would host teams number nine through number 12 at home sites. This, of course, could irk teams that finished higher and don't get the big gate memorable experience of home field advantage and a playoff game. Okay, so basically, you know, theoretically, uh, let's say Washington is ranked number five as, you know, an automatic bid as the Pac-12 champion. Well, if Texas A&M was ranked number uh, 12 as an at-large, but um, let's say they ranked higher technically than 
Washington in the AP poll, A&M would be like, wait, we want to host the game because we technically had the higher ranking. Washington's only five because, well, you know, they won the Pac-12, but the Pac-12 is not the SEC. That's how this would work. So still, still right there in that line, Pete Thamel's doing the bidding of the SEC, saying this could irk teams that finished higher and don't get the big gate memorable experience and home field advantage of a playoff game. I I mean, come on. How much more bidding for the SEC are we going to get here from national media? That's why this site exists, by the way. That's why this podcast exists. That's why this show exists. Because I saw this coming, you know, I mean, we've seen it coming for years, but when I started the site, Six years ago now, this was the reason, because I was so sick of seeing national media not even really hide its SEC bias anymore, because it clearly had it, and it's had it for a long time, but kind of pretend like it wasn't actually there, and it didn't actually exist, and it does, and that's what this is all about. Now, we're a ways away, as I noted, from finding out what the answer is going to be here, but it is very clear that the people pushing 12-team models are the middle-of-the-pack SEC teams who think that their only way to get in, the only chance they have, is by going out there and getting a 12-team playoff and then riding the SEC media narrative coattails that this conference is so powerful and so good that even if you go, let's say, 8-4 and in the regular season, you are worthy of a playoff spot because look at how great your losses are. I mean, the SEC has been doing this forever. We have look at how I mean we we lost four games. We lost to Alabama. We lost to Georgia. I mean we just have some great losses. I mean who's gonna beat these losses? Well, yeah, you didn't win the game. Yeah, but yeah, you should see these losses that we got, right? I mean somebody talk about how great ESPN is here or ESPN talk about how great the SEC is here for a second. Help us out, please, because boy. These are some great losses. They've been riding their losses forever. So that's what's going on. I am not a fan of the 12-team playoff. Eight is the number to me. If you expand, you don't ruin the regular season. And you know what? Once in a while, yes, you are going to get an upset in the conference championship game with an automatic bid. But let's think about it this way, too. Let's say, to use big 12 teams, let's say Texas was ranked 12th and Oklahoma was ranked number two right and Texas beats Oklahoma in the big 12 championship game on a game-winning field goal Texas gets the automatic bid to the playoff right well OU would still be in in position to me if they were ranked number two going into the game and they lose on a last second field goal they would still be in a good position for one of those two at-large bids or three depending how you stack it up with the group of five one of those two or three at-large bids in an eight-team playoff, right? How they lost would matter. Losing on a last-second field goal as the team that was ranked number two in the country, to me, would still make you worthy of an at-large bid. So I I just don't sit here and see this and say, wow, I really ruined ruined everything with the automatic bids during an eight-team playoff. No, and by the way, most of the time, the favorite wins anyway. So I'm I'm not sitting here and freaking out over that in the theoretical eight-team format. I'm not. No, this is simply about SEC power and nothing more. That's that's literally what this is about. Pete Mundo with you. Heartland College Sports Weekly is the show. We are at heartlandcollegesports.com covering the Big 12 top to bottom. So we've got still plenty more I need to dive into here with you as we roll through a busy week on Heartland College Sports Weekly. 
part of heartlandcollegesports.com, your independent Big 12 digital media outlet. And before we continue, I want to take a moment out to ask you guys to take 30 seconds of your time and leave a rating and a review on this show. You might say, why do you ask for it every week, Pete? Well, first off, because I'm giving you a free koozie with our Heartland College Sports logo on that koozie when you leave me a rating and a review. And all you got to do is send me a screenshot of your rating and review to Pete Mundo, M-U-N-D-O, at heartlandcollegesports.com. And secondly, because we worked for years, it started with just me, a laptop, and not much else, uh, building this website up because I thought we could provide Big 12 content far superior to ESPN, CBS, and the others because they were so obsessed with uh, the SEC and the Big Ten, and we've done that. And how we beat them in the podcast rankings to keep growing is by you leaving a rating and a review and hitting that subscribe button. So that's why it's so important to us, and that's why it would mean the world to me if you would do it, and that's why we'll send you a free koozie when you do that as well. And then send me a screenshot to Pete Mundo, M-U-N-D-O, at heartlandcollegesports.com. Thanks so much, guys. I don't care which team you're a fan of. If you are a Big 12 fan, you want Oklahoma and Texas to get along and get along quickly, rapidly, and hopefully for a very long time. At least yeah, at least somewhat get along. I'm Pete Mundo. Heartland College Sports Weekly is the show. We're at heartlandcollegesports.com. It's going to be with you guys for another week. So I saw these uh, TV ratings come out last week. And I wanted to share them with you because they're important as we talk about what the future might hold for the Big 12. And it talked about how uh, when you compare and you look at some of the ratings here in the Big 12 Conference, the highest rated Big 12 games aside from the Bulls were the Red River Rivalry, Bedlam, Texas-Oklahoma State, OU-Iowa State, Texas-Iowa State, and the Big 12 Conference Championship game followed by Iowa State, and Oklahoma State, and then it was Texas and Texas Tech. What do all those games have in common? Every single one of those games include Texas or Oklahoma, Sands 1, Iowa State, Oklahoma State. That's it. Every other game, the highest-rated games of the Big 12 include Oklahoma or Texas. What does that mean exactly? Well, what that means is that you've got a situation here where, and we all know this to be the case, but Oklahoma and Texas drive the ratings for the Big 12, and they drive, not just ratings, they drive the revenue, the $40 million a year for this conference. That's what they do, and that matters. And that's why, uh, you know, comparatively speaking, in week four, TCU-Iowa State had all of 350,000 viewers. The Red River Rivalry, had 4.8 million. Bedlam had 4.1 million. Even Texas versus Texas Tech early in the season had 2.7 million. Texas Iowa State, 3.6 million. All right, so these teams, Oklahoma, Texas, are the ones that drive uh, the ratings and revenue for the Big 12. So if right now you're sitting there and you're an Iowa State fan or you're a TCU fan, you're a Baylor fan. You know what you want. You know what you need to want. You need Oklahoma and Texas to say, you know, we like the Big 12. We like running our conference. We're going to keep it like this. We're going to stay status quo because, and this is not meant as a knock on any of the Big 12 teams. You guys know this. I, I love, and heck, I get accused of being uh, anti-Texas or anti-OU or pro-Iowa State or 
uh, whoever it might be, pro-Oklahoma State, I get it all the time. But understanding the economics are important. This is not about being a fanboy or a fangirl or anything like that. It's understanding economics. And if you are an Iowa State or a TCU fan or a Baylor fan or a Kansas State fan, you desperately need Oklahoma and Texas to keep getting along and not want to basically screw over the other one by leaving the Big 12. You need them to get along. Because without... Oklahoma, and or Texas. The Big 12 then, and basically becomes a glorified group of five, right? I mean, that's that's what ends up happening here. And yes, there's more tradition still for the Big 12 teams than there would be for, let's say, uh, some of the group of fives. But still, I mean, it's a glorified, at that point, a glorified group of five from a market's perspective, from a TV perspective, from a size of your alumni base perspective. And that matters because ESPN and Fox are paying for eyeballs, all right? They love Matt Campbell. They love Iowa State. They love Gary Patterson. They probably think Chris Kleiman's a swell guy and Mike Gundy's a hoot. But guess what? They ain't paying 40 million bucks a year to these schools because they think that, you know, Mike Gundy's funny. Because they think Matt Campbell's a bright young star. Because they think Gary Patterson's got great fire. They're not doing it for that reason. They're doing it because they can. They know that they can get X amount of eyeballs, turn it, sell it to advertisers, and make a ton of money. That's it. That's the game. That's what it's about. So everybody else, and here's the difference too. You think back to 10 years ago. All right, when conference realignment happened the first time around. Uh, the Big 12, we know that they lost Missouri. They lost Nebraska. They lost Colorado. They lost Texas A&M. Those are some good brand names, right? Good brand names that had enormous fan bases, especially Nebraska and Texas A&M, right? Those were two anchor-ish programs. Maybe they're not 1A alpha male or alpha dogs, but they're certainly uh, 1Bs. They're they're not Texas. They're not OU. Uh, they may argue that they are. I don't think they are. But either way, they're, they're, if they're not right there, they're just a notch below. So the Big 12 lost two of them. Now, Missouri's also got a huge fan base, obviously. The Kansas City market's a very good market. Colorado, uh, you got Boulder, you got Denver, good market. And you look at this now and you say to yourself, okay, well, we find ourselves in a situation here where we lost some really good programs. Now, we replaced them, West Virginia, TCU. West Virginia, great big state school, solid get. TCU, good school, uh, great programs, obviously, but a smaller private school. Smaller private schools typically do not, and I say this, by the way, as a smaller private school guy myself, smaller at Villanova, smaller schools do not uh, generate that type of revenue in the TV eyeballs. It just typically doesn't happen. So they did lose something there in the last round of realignment, but they could still exist as a Power 5 conference because of the anchors, Texas and Oklahoma. They can't afford to lose any anchors anymore, right? They can't. The Big 12 cannot do that. Now, if I was the Big 12, I would be aggressive in going after another anchor or two. I would still make the pitch to Nebraska. I would still make the pitch to Mizzou. And I know that they would, I, I don't think they're doing it. I understand it. Although we know that Nebraska is a little bit upset with the Big Ten. 
Missouri, I believe the fan base would love to do it. Come back to the Big 12. I don't see them leaving the SEC. I just I just don't, even though they're out of their element from a cultural perspective. Uh, they're not going to do it. They're just not. But I would at least, if I was the Big 12, I'd at least be aggressive. I'd make overtures. I'd say, hey, can we have some conversations? That's what I'd be doing if I was the Big 12 Conference. Be aggressive. Instead of trying to play defense, go out there and say, hey, what's what's our best option? What makes sense for us? I mean, it's something that's worth at least exploring, worth talking about. So that's where the Big 12 is, is at right now, and that's why the rest of the conference needs to say, hey, Listen, I, I know that now when you play those schools, Texas, Oklahoma, you should want to beat the heck out of them. But you should also want them to stay in the conference because here's the difference. The Big 12 distributes between 35 and $40 million per season to each school. By comparison, the top group of five conference, the AAC, right? Tulsa, Houston, you know them. They send out about $7 million to their schools. That is a 30 million dollar difference if OU and Texas picked up and went to the AAC tomorrow the revenue payouts and TV deals would flip immediately the big 12 would go to seven million bucks the AAC would go to 35 to 40 that's how much it matters that's how much it plays a role all right it's a big deal anybody trying to tell you otherwise is not being um, intellectually honest with you so this is not to say rah rah Oklahoma rah rah Texas it's just to give you an honest analysis um, of of where the economics are in the sport and why it's imperative that if you're a Big 12 fan, especially a fan that's not named OU or Texas, you need these two conferences or these two teams to stay together, to want to stay together, to maintain the Big 12 as it currently exists, which I believe we all uh, want. Myself at the top of that list as a Big 12 guy through and through. I'm Pete Mundo. Heartland College Sports Weekly is our show. HeartlandCollegeSports.com is our site. Coming up next, everyone's ragging on Oklahoma State. I'm not doing it. I'll tell you why coming up. So some people are giving Oklahoma State football a hard time. I'm not. I'm going to praise them here for a couple of minutes. I'm Pete Mundo, final few minutes on Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com. So I don't know if you saw the news that Oklahoma State announced a home-and-home with the Alabama Crimson Tide in um, 2028 and 2029. That game will be played in Stillwater in 2028, and then it will go to Tuscaloosa in 2029. And uh, the news came down on Twitter earlier in the week, and I think it's great, by the way. I think Oklahoma State or any Big 12 team wanting to play the best of the best in the non-conference is awesome for uh, the Oklahoma State Cowboys as a program, as a university, and as a fan base. But some people wanted to mock Oklahoma State. Oh, look Look at the Cowboys. They're going to go get wrecked by Alabama. What are they thinking? Why are they doing this? Well, first off, who cares from that perspective? I mean, they're scheduling a tough non-conference. Like, that's, that's, that's more than some Big 12 fans can say, you know? I, that's, that's great news for them. Um, and, and secondly, and I'll get to a couple other parts of this, like, I was at the 2012 Savannah State game when Oklahoma State won 84 to nothing. I was at that game. And I'm not saying they're not still going to play an easy FCS game in 2028 and 2029. I'm sure they will. But anytime as a fan base, whether you're an Oklahoma State fan, whether you're a fan of another team, whether you're a fan of just the Big 12 in general, you get a premier game like this 
that you can brag about, that you can talk about, that is going to be uh, hyped about and around for the days and weeks leading up to, I'm all about that. I'm all about that. And I think as college football playoff expansion uh, happens, and it will happen as I'm talking about throughout this show, like being able to play Alabama, a good loss to Alabama could be incredibly valuable, not just to your resume in a theoretical at-large bid or whatever it might be, but also to the standpoint of just your team playing the best of the best and wanting to be in that Big 12 Conference Championship conversation and then winning that tough game in late November. I do believe there's something to be said for playing a tough non-conference slate, learning from it, growing from it, and then benefiting from it later in the season, even if you lose that game early in September, middle September, whenever it might be. I I think that that is great for a team, for a program, uh, from a building perspective, whatever it might be. So I'm not going to knock or mock Oklahoma State over this. I'm going to encourage other Big 12 teams to go out there and do this because I think it's vitally important for the Big 12 to keep challenging teams on the biggest stage. And the fact that Alabama's like, yeah, I mean, we think Oklahoma State's a solid program and we want to play them and we'll do a home and home with them. Uh, That says something, too, about where uh, Oklahoma State football is viewed at by the premier program in the country. And I'll say this, too, as well. I would say that uh, when these games are played in 2028, now Nick Saban just signed an extension through the 2028 season. That would take him up to 77 years old. I don't know about you guys, but I would say there's a better chance that Nick Saban is coaching Alabama in that 2028 game than Mike Gundy coaching Oklahoma State in that 2028 game. That's just me. I mean, I, I but I believe that. I, and not that Mike Gundy's getting fired or anything like that, but I, I just think Mike Gundy at some point in the next five years is going to be like, I'm done. I'm bored of this. I'm going to go, you know, sit on the farm and hang out and uh, go fishing. And I, I just think it's going to come to a point for Mike Gundy in the next five years where he's going to be done where he's just going to be bored, he's going to want to do something else, maybe TV for a little bit. I mean, he's still a relatively young guy, right? Just trying to figure out how old he is real quick. He's 53. Like, I I could just see Mike Gundy before the age of 60, which would put it up right up against this game, basically, you know, saying, all right, I'm, uh, I'm calling it a day on this one. All right? Uh, someone else take over. He's waiting for that coach and waiting, maybe. He's trying to figure out who that is. But uh, and maybe it's a guy like Casey Dunn. But I'm just saying, he, he's trying to figure out who exactly that is. And um, I think then he'll say, all right, I'm out. See you guys later. Have a good day. And he'll just go. And he'll do some TV on the side. And uh, that'll be the end of Mike Gundy coaching. So there's your hot take to end up the show. <laughs> that Nick Saban has a better chance to be coaching that game than uh, Mike Gundy does. By the way, um, we do have baseball super regionals taking place this weekend. Uh, We're going to be following it for you on the website at heartlandcollegesports.com. So we'll be all over it. Uh, Texas Tech and Texas are the two teams left. Unfortunately, TCU Oklahoma State uh, could not get it done. So that's where we're going to be at this weekend. We'll be following it, writing about it as well. So be sure to stay tuned to heartlandcollegesports.com because we will uh, be covering the Super Regionals. We have not traditionally done a lot of baseball but there was a want for it there was a demand for it so we have decided to fill that demand fill that want 
and take you guys through a super regional weekend this weekend for Texas Tech and Texas. And TCU, tough blow for them. Win the Big 12 tournament, get knocked out in the regionals, and then lose head coach uh, Jim Schlossnagel for Texas A&M. That is a tough, tough spot, tough run for TCU baseball. I think they'll be all right. It's a great program, but still. I mean, that's, uh, that's brutal. No one likes to see that. And uh, Schlossnagel's been there since 2003, almost two decades for him as the TCU baseball coach. But uh, I'm sure A&M dumped a ton of money into his lap. So it's tough to argue uh, with that part of it, but still a, a big loss for TCU and for Big 12 baseball, for that matter, after 18 seasons. All right, you guys have a great rest of your week. Thanks for joining us each and every week on this show. We love you guys, and we'll talk to you soon. I'm Pete Mundo. Heartland College Sports Weekly is the show. HeartlandCollegeSports.com is the site. We appreciate all that you guys do for us. And the last thing before closing out you could do is leave a rating and review and subscribe to this podcast, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. And when you leave a rating and a review, I've got a koozie for you with a Heartland College Sports logo on it. Just send me a screenshot of your rating and review to Pete Mundo, M-U-N-D-O, at heartlandcollegesports.com. We'll get a koozie in the mail for you guys, our little token of appreciation to you, because that helps us keep growing this show. Thank you, guys. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon.